is very bright here. Um, thank you for this opportunity to come and speak to you and share my experience with you. You have great pastors here, both of them, and I have really big shoes to fill today. So um, I hope that God will bless us all and his Holy Spirit is with us this morning. So um, we as a church can come as a family and uh, glorify his name. So the first question I usually get is, what's your name? And I say, my name is Ivana Drahotuski. And when I say Ivana, that is kind of okay. But when I go with the last name, Drahotuski, like, I'm sorry, I cannot help you with that. It's my husband's. I didn't have a choice. Uh, blame on him. And uh, it is what it is. No, the really interesting thing is I have ten letters in, in the last name, and you have to pronounce every single one of them. And it's hard for me, too. So I always check when I, when I spell so the second question I get is, where are you from? And uh, I know that the summer break is very close, and it's time to um, plan for summer vacation. So allow me to take you a little trip, okay? So we are here at the left side on the west where the California and the United States is. So if you go in the center of this map, here you will see the central and eastern Europe. And then on the left, you will see France, Spain, Germany, Greece on the bottom. Thank you. Awesome. So those are all fun places to vacation, right? And everyone wants to go there. Well, Serbia is that little brown thing. You see that boot, yellow boot on the left? That's Italy. So if you ever went to Venice and Rome, that's where you went. And Serbia is just across from the Italy. So lots of fun uh, places to go on vac vacation to, but usually people don't decide to go on vacation on Serb in Serbia. And there's a reason for it, okay? Uh, Serbia is, the geopolitical location of Serbia is really interesting. It's on the crossroads of very of different culture, of religion, and political um, areas. So um, Serbia is founded in... Um, 13th century. Actually, Rome uh, recognized Serbia as a state, as a kingdom, in 1217, uh, 12, 12, so 13th century. And um, I can tell you, as far as I remember my descendants there, my descendants actually came from Germany to northern part of Serbia. There has been war there every 50 years. So if you've heard about former Yugoslavia, that's where I'm from, okay? So there's a lot of words, and there's always some kind of trouble. It's very um, problematic, problematic Balkan uh, place. So, um, but I'm coming from the northern part of Serbia, and that northern part where that a purple arrow is, it's called Vojvodina. That's the province of Vojvodina. Uh, northern part of Serbia, and that became part of Serbia in the 17th century. So um, before that, we were, we were Augsburg, Hasburg Empire before that. So it's just a little background, because you will see through my sermon that that background had a really big impact on me um, when I became a Christian. So, okay, so we are moving to Serbia, across from Italy, and this is the place, this is the city of Novi Sad, which is Vojvodina or Serbia, where um, I lived. Um, I met my husband there, Alex, and most of you know him. 
Um, this is where we lived. Um, this is another view of the city. That city is actually um, founded, the first records of city was in um, 1217, which is really, really old. And the moder modern city was founded in um, 17th century. Um, this is our city hall and the bank of Vojvodina on the right side. But this is where I grew up. And um, I lived there until um, my uh, 23rd uh, year. And um, I grew up as an atheist. Um, I didn't know anyone who believed in God. Uh, the Serbia is actually a secular country. Uh, religion is not popular there. Actually, they uh, think or recognize only the Christian um, Muslim, like Islam, and Judaism. So if you become, or if you're part of the Protestant church, it's not a good thing, okay? So, but even that being said, I didn't know anyone who believed in God. I didn't know anyone who goes to the church, let alone go, goes to church every week. I didn't hear anyone talking about God. I never heard God's name. Um, I know of Jesus as a historical uh, uh, figure, personality, uh, or when we had like philosophy or social studies in, in the school, but didn't know anyone who believed in God, which for culture here is unacceptable, right? You, you, everyone, where, wherever you go, you see people praying in the restaurants, praying in the stores, praying in the parks. People just gather and if they have a trouble, they pray. I've never seen that in my whole life. So my journey actually started, um, oh, let me show you something. So um, you heard not so good things about former Yugoslavia, you know, and, 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 and Serbia has about seven million people. Um, and some of those Serbs you might know, because those Serbs actually started a similar journey that I did. They had a dream, they dared to dream, and they dare to leave the country and go for a better life. So one of the Serbs that you probably know is this guy. Do you, know, do you guys know who that is? Tesla. Nikola Tesla, yeah. So Nikola Tesla is a, is a physicist, famous physicist. He was a religion, a religious guy. And, and these guys that I'm going to show you, they moved here to the States, uh, to this great country, and they contributed to the culture of this country and also to the um, science in general. The next lady, um, her name is Mileva Maric, or Mileva Maric. Anyone knows who that is? I usually get that response, but I guarantee you, you know her husband. Do you know who, who is the guy on the, on the left side? Albert Einstein? Yeah, so Mileva Maric was a Serbian mathematician, and uh, she was the first wife of Albert Einstein. And really interesting thing, this is the house they lived for two years in Novi Sad. Uh, so this is where Einstein lived. And it's a really interesting thing that it was just only half miles away from our church there. They're just interesting, interesting fact. Another person, this is, have you heard of um, Michael Pupin? That's that guy with the mustaches on, on the right side. He was one of the founders of NASA. Um, and for me, it was just interesting when you, when you read about people and how they contributed to humankind in, in all and how different and modest beginnings they had. So any sports fan should even ask that question? Okay, Sacramento Kings, 
Do you, do you recognize these guys? Doug Christie, Mike Bibby, Peja Stojanovic, or Peja, right? And then you have Chris Webber and Vlade Divac. Well, the middle guy and the far right side, they're Serbians too. So I'm proud when I say their names. <laughs> All right. So, you know, my journey started, as I say, in 1993. I was atheist. Um, my family was brought up that way. We never talk about God. But um, I got a little invitation. It was the discovery in the Bible, in, uh, Bible um um, countries like Greece and um, Rome and you know Judea and I really like history and archaeology so I went there and it was like um, one of those big long series of three weeks of every night you go and listen about the Bible I love those and I can tell you that the first time the first evening I went there a uh, the pastor started preaching about uh, Rome and Roman Empire and then at the end he mentioned God and Jesus and how all that was the big part of the big plan and I can tell you I was hooked at the first meeting I was there every single evening uh, I went to church after that uh, I baptized after that but that journey started in 1993 and I was atheist and something happened that I walk into a building as an atheist and I walk out of the building as a believer can you explain to me how that happened? When I became a, a Christian, it was a brand new world for me. I wanted to learn everything about everything that is in the Bible. So I talked about different people. I said, okay, I'm on the, uh, starting this new journey, and uh, I want to know. So my end point is a new heaven and new earth, like is described in the last book of the Bible in Revelation. But how do I get there? What is direction? I mean, how can I and what I need to do to actually get to my final point, my finish? So I talk with different people. And usually I will, I will get the definition like this. So for directions, choose the narrow road, give your heart to God, renounce your old life, and walk with God every day. Obviously, this was, this was the reference to the Luke 9.23 when Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and get up the cross daily and follow me. But since I was a new believer, just an infant, they would always tell me, narrow road, give your heart to God, renounce your old life, and walk with God. What does that mean? I mean, English is my foreign language, obviously. But this was said in Serbian, and I had no idea what they meant by this. What is walking with God? Well, if I ask you, I know you're kind of nodding, but if I ask, can you define me what walking with God is? What is giving up your heart to God? Renouncing your old life, I can, I can wrap my mind around that. But what I notice is, now I'm a Christian for quite some time now, we grow up with words that mean something to us, and we grow up with them. Like my kids, I, I, I watch them. But do we really understand what those words mean? Do you know how to give up your heart? Do you know how to walk with God? Because that's the only way how you can get to your final destination, which is a new heaven or new Jer Jerusalem. So this is what I would like, this is what I would like <clears throat> excuse me, to talk about.
So um, let's go to the next slide. What was the most famous journey in the history, recorded history? It lasted 40 years. Should be actually taken only 10 to 11 days to get to final destination. So it took 40 years for the distance about 250 miles. What was the most famous journey recorded? Exodus from Egypt going to Canaan to a new, to a new land, right? So how did that journey start it? Because what we're trying to do is to see how we navigate through our life here. Even though I'm in this great country now, uh, this is not my final destination, and I hope not for each one of you that are sitting here. What we're planning to do is to be with God, right? To share our life with him. So that's what we're trying to do. And this is what our life on this earth is. Trying to find directions to know how to get to our final destination. So if I go back, if you remember that, what I show you here, and if I ask you for definition, I'm going to get a different directions where to go. But you know what? That's not that, that's not that hard to understand. Let, let me show you one thing. Okay, I, I need you to help me with this. This is going to be a little, a little a project we're going to do. I need you to close your eyes. Okay? Oh, I promise nothing bad is going to happen. Just close your eyes. Can you point me to the west? So get your hand and point to the west, all of you. I need to see hands. Where is the west? Where is the west? All right. Almost all hands up. Some are not decided. Okay, open your eyes. What direction should I go to the west? That, that, or that? Where's the west? Are you sure? You see, even for really simple things like directions here and there, and I'm telling you I'm the worst person when it comes to reading the maps. Not your goal for that. But even for the really easy, simple things to do, show me, point me to the west, you have to think about it. Can you imagine navigating through like your, your life here, going to a heaven, going through the Ten Commandments and all the difficulties through our lives, trying to be what God says you have to be perfect like your heavenly father, and you're trying to get to the, your finish point. You don't know where west is. That's a hard to travel, right? I can tell you, my husband, and I know my husband forever, we never fought in our whole life, with the exception of one time. And that's when we moved here, and uh, we bought a car. We had, like, a Ford Escort. We bought it for, like, $600. And we decided we are going to explore California and go to San Francisco. Yeah? So I got a map, and he was driving. Okay. So we were getting closer to San Francisco, and he said, oh, can you show me what exit I need to just read the map and tell me what exit I need to take to, to go there? Okay, me reading in the car, not a good idea. Me reading a map, not a good idea. So I took the map, and I was like, oh. and he was like, okay, it's coming, it's coming, tell me where to go. I was like, oh, I don't know, I'm trying to read the map, and, and this day did not end up well. Uh, and we uh, bought a GPS after that, so now he's angry at that lady that tells him where to go, and he doesn't listen. But, but that was the only fight we ever had because of directions. We wanted to get to the same place, but we were not agreeing on how to get to that same place. So, so that's why it's really like 
the journey has to start with something. And that most famous journey that we're talking about started with this verse. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land and land flowing with milk and honey. That's where we are going, land of milk and honey. But the whole thing started with a prayer. And God said, I have heard them crying. One of the pillars of Christianity and the Christian life is a prayer. And the God says here, Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Mark 11:24. James 5:13 says, If anyone among is in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. So let me ask you something. Do you pray? Is prayer a part of your life? Because every journey starts with a prayer. And I know when I say the prayer is a pillar of our Christian life, it's a kind of a cliche, right? But that's where it starts. And I truly hope that you have a really strong praying life, life of prayer, because that is the assurance that it's going to get you to your final destination. So when I look and when I read this, I think my story goes a little bit um, longer, back in the history from 1993. It actually starts when I was seven years old. So... I was an extremely shy kid. Uh, I was so shy that when we get a, ca- a guest come to our house, I would not go out to greet them because I would have anxiety attacks. Extremely shy. So I started my first grade um, elementary school, and my parents came to kind of visit me. So all kids will play in the, in the, back, in the yard, schoolyard, and I will sit somewhere on the side and just watch them. Because I was so afraid to come and say, hey, my name is Ivan, I would like to play with you. That was a big deal for me. So my family decided they have to do something about that. And their resolution was to sign me up for karate. (laughs) So here I am, second week of school. My parents signed me up for martial arts, and I was in the room full of probably... 50, 60 kids, ages 6 to 8. I have instructor, my coach, come in. He introduced me. He showed me the skills, the whatever we were doing, choking, or I think it was something related to choking. <laughs> so it was about 15 minutes practice, and he said, okay, now show me what you know. 50 kids in the room. So each one of us had to choose the partner. I can tell you one thing. At seven years, eight years of age, kids do not know what the empathy is. Empathy is like when you see someone suffering or in pain to help him, help that person. Kids don't have developed empathy. So it was, you're either going to go and fight or you're going to go home each day full of bruises because other kids will beat you up. 
So that was my first, I'm not recommending that at all, but that's how it started. So I went into one fight, I was bruised out, and obviously I lost. My second fight, my third fight, each time I was beaten up. And then all of a sudden, it was my, I was tired of it. And I stand in front of the next kid, it was a girl, eight years old, that taller than me. I know everything about her, color eyes, everything. And I look at her, and I know the fight will start. And all I've said is, God, if you do exist, help me survive this. And that's how my journey with God started, even though I did not know what I'm doing. So tell me how a kid that never heard about God, never knew anything about God, never prayed or seen anyone that is praying, started praying to a God. I don't know unless it was God himself that taught me what to do. So I'll tell you a little bit more about, about prayers, because prayer is truly fundamental uh, part of my life. And if I don't pray, and I'm not saying this as a cliche, if I don't pray, I don't feel well, but prayer is something that keeps me in connection with God. So Navi Sad, the, the, the city that we were living in, was famous by three bridges, and here it's not a good resolution, but you will see three different bridges. And our, our house, the apartment where we lived in, it was like a top one. That was like a big, a big um, bridge named Bridge of Liberty. So uh, in spring of 1991, their airstrikes on Serbia started and lasted for about three, four months. Okay? So my husband and I were there in that city. Um, this is the Boulevard of Liberty. So we will go there. The airstrike started, and we didn't know what's going to happen. Uh, we, we, we heard um, uh, police coming and saying you have to go. And, and I went through really a lot of stuff in my life, but probably the scariest situation ever was when I heard a knocking on my door. I opened the door, and there was a military, um, like a, um, a soldier with a gun and everything, and he escorted us from our apartment to atomic bomb shelter. So there's something about, you know, people escorting you from the comfort of your own home and pushing you somewhere else because usually we feel very comfortable where we live in our house. So he escorted us down into a bomb, uh, bomb shelter and no one could get out. It was, it was like military was there. It was, it was really, really scary. And, and the bombs started, you know, bombs start kind of exploding. And what they did is they actually tried to broke those, uh, uh, to put, uh, to tear those bridges down. So in our apartment was probably like uh, 500 yards from one of those bridges. And when bomb will fall and explode, the detonation explosion was so hard that I will fell down from my bed. It was, it was like, it was the out of body experience. Anyway, so we went into that bomb shelter and, but to get to there, there was like a hallway. So going from the second floor story where we lived in to the bomb shelter, it was like a hallway. Everything was out of glass. So it was like really big danger that if the bomb explodes while you're in that um, part of the, the building, the glass will shelter and cut you out. And that happened to some of our not immediate friends. But 
it, they, were, they ended up in the hospital. It was really, really bad. So the, the airstrikes usually happen between 2.30 in the morning to 5. It's usually when you sleep the best. And uh, so we will hear the siren, and, and then all of a sudden, like within like five or six minutes, the planes will be there, drop the bombs, and leave. So my husband and I, his grandmother was with us, and she was a she had a heart uh, issue, heart problem, and it was really difficult for her to go into that bomb shelter, run with all those accommodation. To, it was really hard on her, hard on her health. So I said, we have to do something about it. This is not, we're going day after day, going through the same routine, you know, trying to hide in the, in the shelter. And I said, God, can you please help us? Because I'm afraid for her health. And I can tell you one thing, is like every night from them then on, seven minutes, it usually takes about five minutes to get there, seven minutes before the siren will go off to announce the airstrike, I had a dream to wake up every single day, seven minutes before airstrike. And those happen in a different time frame. It's not like every morning at 5 o'clock I wake up. It was afternoon. It was evening. Every single time for four months, I would have a dream before planes would come in and drop bombs. No, you cannot explain that logically. you know. But I believe it's all because I said, God, please help me. I need your help. Okay. So there's another, there was a lot of comical situation in, in that um, uh, bomb shelter. But so we'll go there and then we have to wait and then military will come in and tell us when it's safe to go out. So we have about 100 people uh, slightly panicking because we don't know what the future will hold. And um, the military base was probably like 300 yards away from the building, so, and they were targeting that military base. So uh, I remember it was um, a weekend, and uh, sirens went off. There was like a lot of people play, um, coming, and the bombing started, and we all had to run into the bombing shelter. So we stand there, um, and we were waiting for the whole thing to, to pass. But... The question is, can situation get even worse than it is? You're hiding. You cannot be in your own home. You're hiding and you're waiting something to pass a wave, and, the, and you have no control whatsoever on what's going to happen with your life. So I've been thinking about it. Could this situation be even worse? Because sometimes in our life, we start feeling sorry for ourselves. You know, why me? Isn't anyone else? Why me? So I was thinking about it. Could this get even worse? And trust me, it got worse. Because the power went off in the shelter. So keep in mind, it's a shelter. There's no natural light. There's no windows. Nothing. Okay? So about 100 people, a few pets. And there was a Billy. Billy was a, a pit bull that was trained to fight. And uh, his owner brought him in. He was in the street, brought him in, and um, he didn't have a muzzle on it. So I said, okay, I'm in the shelter with a pit bull there, and the dark was all around us. You could not see anything. I was like, okay, God, could this be even worse? And he trust me, got worse. Because the next thing we heard, and it was silent, it was silent. The, the generator didn't kick in, so we didn't have a, a light. 
And all of a sudden, you can, you can, you can hear a pin drop on the floor. And all of a sudden, we heard, where's Billy? So we're in the bomb shelter in the dark. You cannot see anything. And we didn't know where the pit bull Billy was. Could this situation get any worse than what it is? Oh, I guarantee you it can. So the generator kicked in after two or three minutes. The light came into the room. And I turned right, and I saw Billy owner. And I turned left, and I saw Billy on that side. And I was in the middle, the shortest way from Billy to his owner, and Billy was not happy. And everyone kind of looked at me. Oh, poor girl. What are you going to do now? And all I remember, all I did is I closed my eyes and I said, God, please help me. And that's what happened. When I opened my eyes, the guy came. He kind of calmed him down and took him outside of the, the shelter. But this funny story is all about, I want to tell you, life will throw different things on us. And yes, situation can get worse and worse, but the only tool that we need in those situations is a prayer. And I guarantee you, if you pray, God will help you. If God helped a kid seven years old that was atheist, didn't even believe in God, but helped that kid, I guarantee you can help anyone to go through whatever situation, hard um, predicament you are in. Another story about this um, Freedom Boulevard. The, you know, the longer you are in the worst situation, kind of you get used to it, and, and you know things that are not normal become normal. And so, you know, we know the planes will come, the bombs will be dropped, and you know all that fun stuff. You just don't pay attention after a while. But one time, my husband and I went to church. We had supposed to have a prayer meeting there, and uh, we were on this boulevard. And this boulevard actually goes all the way to that um, top bridge, uh, the, the Bridge of Liberty. So we saw planes coming. Um, again, after two months, no one was ever looking for shelter anymore. So planes were coming. We saw, we saw the plane drop the bomb. It was a tomahawk, the missile. And we saw the tomahawk kind of cruising. And they told us, they trained us, like, as long as you can hear it, like a sound of a missile kind of traveling through, through the air, you're okay. So... It was kind of like, I don't know, fireworks, I don't know. So we were kind of looking at the, the tomahawk, and we could hear it. So we could continue walking to the church we had for the prayer meeting, and all of a sudden, we couldn't hear it anymore. So I turned around. It was on this boulevard, and I saw a tomahawk coming right at me. So when I'm talking to you, it like, sounds like a long time, but it was like a matter of a few seconds. And we were close to that bridge, and we couldn't, you know, there was no shelter in, near us. We couldn't do anything. We couldn't hide anywhere. So, and I was seeing coming, coming closer, closer. So my husband just took my hand, and he said, hey, God, help us. So we actually saw it flew over us for like 40, 50 feet above our head and go and then uh, hit this bridge. So the bridge looked like this. So the bridge, you know, uh, broke down. Another missile came in. Um, this is another view of it. But the, the story has it, our best friend that is now a pastor in, in London, in Swansea, he was on the other side of the bridge. And when, when the, the tomahawk exploded, 
he threw him off of the bank on the side, and he was seriously bruised. But what happened, people fell down from the bridge into the, this was the Danube River on the bottom. So he actually saw that, and he went into a fisherman boat and kind of helped people come out of the water and, you know, uh, help them to safety. So he was, he was really um, surprised that that happened to him. But, you know, sometimes even the worst situation that you can be in could be a blessing to someone else, as long as you're walking with God and understand what, God's, um, what God is willing uh, to tell you. So this is the new bridge. They, they rebuild the bridge after that. So no matter what situation you're in, as this slide says, as long as you fight um, all of your battles on your knees, and you will win every single time. And if you're not sure in that, I, I really, I can guarantee you that based on my life, not based on what I've re- read, not based on what people told me, but based on what I, I, I experienced. So what I'm trying to say this, even, this morning is we have amazing tool that God gave us. Prayer is all we need to get to our final destination. But I think sometimes we get so comfortable in our lives that we are not so in tune in what can God do for us if we pray. So the way I see prayer, it's like you're having a, a chainsaw, right? And you need to cut several trees. And you never start a chainsaw by trying to cut the, t- the trees. You know, I think... If we really want to walk with God and give our heart to God, the life of prayer has to have first place in our Christian life. And, you know, praying is, I know people, they like to kneel, to stand. They pray after, you know, every meal. It doesn't matter. The beautiful thing about prayer is we don't have to tell God what we need. So when we pray and say, God, and I have an exam, and I have this, and I have this project, he already knows. So the prayer is not for us to tell God what we need. The prayer is for us so God can tell us what we need to do. So when you, when you pray, think about a chainsaw. Start it up. Don't try to do things your own way. Listen to God. I can tell, I, I really have great experience with prayer. I've never literally heard the voice of God. But that's something between me and him that I have to learn how to recognize what he's telling me to do. You know, when I asked about prayer the first time, uh, and they told me, oh, don't worry, there's like three, three answers to prayer. Yes, no, or wait. Is there any other answer? Then yes, no, and wait. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's either going to happen or not going to happen. Right? So let's not try to generalize prayer. Okay, you go on your knees and you pray to God and you hear all the answers. It doesn't happen to me that way. But I have to read, I have to think about God, and I have to be open for his plan for me. So how can I, how can I be so, so sure about the prayer? In Isaiah 43.1, when I got baptized in 1993, and this is the verse that my pastor gave it to me. So, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, 
he who formed you, Israel, do not fear. For I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When I understood this verse, that God tells me, Ivana, you're mine. Do not worry. I'll win your battles. That was huge for me. This is when I start to live as a free person, free of fear, not like seven-year-old kid that was afraid of everything. And then the next verse says, when you pass through the waters, where is God? I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not harm you. And this is my life. This is my story for God. I've been in crazy situations that not necessarily I would choose to be, but I knew God was with me every step of the way. And I was not worried because I knew that God is battling all the battles for me. Isaiah 53:45 says, So how can I be sure that my prayer life could be real and that God is going to be with me? So listen, what they talk about Jesus and they say, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. afflicted excuse me. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, <coughs> I'm sorry, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. So if you ever come into, you're not 100% sure that God is there and hearing you when you pray, or when you come to the really bad situation in your life when you have a problem with your health, whatever the case is, you have a strong stone to build your beliefs, to build your faith. That's God, that he went through all of that for us before we were born. And why did he do that for us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I can tell you one thing. God is 100% behind you. He did everything he could could to save us. All we have to do is to open our mind and open our heart to understand what he wants for us. But once we start the journey, you remember that story about footprints on the sand when we say, oh, this is the time when I was troubled. This is the time when I needed you and you were not there. Those were not our footprints on the sand. That was God carrying us with his own hands. And I know that how? Because he's the one who died for me so I can have everlasting life. And I challenge you when you get home, read Psalm 27. Read Isaiah 53. If you ever doubt in God's love, in what God can do for your life, read those verses. I guarantee you it will open the whole new world of possibilities for you and trust in prayer that's the tool that God gave us that will help us navigate through this journey so we all can 
end up in our finishing point, and that's the new heaven. Thank you very much for being so patient and, and listening to me. And my prayer for you is that God blesses understanding what he wants for us so this journey here is easier and more enjoyable for us than what sometimes we make it be really hard. So let God bless us and the Holy Spirit be in your life. Let's bow our hands, uh, bow our heads. <coughs> Dear Jesus, thank you for your only son. Thank you for the big sacrifice you did for us. Thank you, God, that you did everything you could so each one of us gets saved. And thank you for telling us that all the power of prayer and your power to save us is with us, open for us. All we have to do is to pray and ask for it. So, God, I really pray the Holy Spirit fills in our hearts and our minds so we are open to you and knowing you better so we can go through this life through this journey unharmed and that we all as a church as a big family can meet you together in New Jerusalem thank you for your sacrifice thank you for your blood thank you for your hands and thank you for carrying us through every difficult situation in our lives in Jesus name, Amen